everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Are we Loveless? I'm Danielle. And I'm Matt Strackfine. Hey, how's it going, Matt? I'm doing well. How are you guys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're banking some episodes. Since we have some stuff going on, we're actually going to be recording the Only Beast album this weekend. And then we're going to be out of town next weekend, so we want to make sure that you have an episode every week. So, like I say, if you're enjoying the show... Everything that we do on the show is free, so give us a review, follow us on social media, give us some likes, give us some feedback. That's how you get involved with the book club. And then you become a book club member. Friendship! Yeah! Book club members. So, no listener feedback this week, but we'll be back with some listener feedback next week. Hey, something I forgot to mention on last week's episode, which I guess would have been a couple hours ago. Fucking happy birthday again, man. Oh, okay. So, yeah. by the time that this one airs, your birthday would have been last week. Yeah. Right. So, oh, right on. 16th, happy birthday. Yeah, yeah So, happy birthday, John. Ah, oh, thank you, man. Nice. That's the big 5-0? Or, no. <laughs> He's 40. He's 40. <laughs> 40. Oh, that's huge. That's that's a milestone. That is a really you. big one, dude. Yeah, thanks, it. man. I appreciate 40s it. 40s are the best. That's oh, my yeah. favorite decade so far. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, it. I'm looking forward to it. Those are going to be my podcasting years. <laughs> oh, <Yes>. yeah. <laughs> and so now we're going to get to our book club episode for the week. Thank you for that, Aubrey. This week we're talking about Abe Sapien, The Garden 2. This is a two-part story published from November to December 2015 as Abe Sapien issues 28 and 29, written by Mignola and Ali, art by Max Fumara, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. This is a dope-ass cover. Fucking sick. (laughs) Yeah, this is really great. So it's got this kind of version of Abe, but he's all like on fire and stuff like that, right? And then we see this little girl, and she's got kind of that same symbol of the... This left hand or whatever. The sun chin hand. Yeah, see, I'm looking at the single issue, and it's Abe fighting a mutated bear. And I think that yeah. one's in the back. We'll have to talk about yeah. that. So the cover the... that we just talked about is the cover to Abe Sapien 29? Yeah, right. Okay. And it, it just immediately reminded me, we just saw a bear in Abe Sapien, right? Oh, yeah, we sure did. We saw one uh, in our last story. It was behind Autumn. They had that weird moment. Yeah, and they I spent think like this a whole... Is... Yeah. yeah. As soon as I saw it, because it's got this yellow background, I was like, oh, no, that bear was affected by the gas, just like Autumn was. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right, so because knows? he's still yeah. in Swanee. Yeah, so um, let's talk about this. So the, the garden, the first one, had these like really interesting page layout with the three panels on every page. And this is called the Garden 2. And so I was wondering, is there going to be like, uh, you know, kind of a similar thing? And there's not, but like these first couple pages are very kind of artful and very kind of interesting laid out, kind of similar to that same feel that we had on that issue. Set and setting. Yeah, so this is really beautiful work by Fumara. We see Abe walking around. We see that spire, tower, Ogdraham that swam away in the last thing. And Abe is like remembering... All these different things, right? He's remembering what Panya told him. You were born for the world that's coming. Your world. He remembers the head of Father Nicholas. Out of the caverns of Nunyabis, dark and terrible deep. He remembers that weird lady whose like arms could come off or whatever. <laughs> she says, I see what you are, son, and I'm not scared. See, I know. To know yourself, you should go home. And then he remembers Diana saying... You look at only one piece of who you were. And so there's a ton of these flashbacks, right? He sees Grace. 
Um, there's somebody who is this person again? The shapeshifter from Mexico, right? Yes. Or New Mexico? Is that where they are? Yeah. Arizona. The Nagual. Yeah. What was her right. name? I don't remember. Yeah, I anyway, yeah, that's it. Thank you for that. He remembers the Black Flame saying, I'm not going to be the center of power in all of this. You are. We've seen that a couple times. We see the ON Society people. We see Megan from the Diana group. And we also see Langdon Call, Phoenix. And we also see from that vision also where he saw Langdon Call reaching out to him. And he said, those monsters, there is no part of that in you. If you're going to do a recap... This is how I would prefer yeah. you do it. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I just oh, hate getting bogged down in just pages and pages of a fucking recap. Like, just do this. Yeah, but I also it. like how they're kind of like, look, we've been showing this all along. Like, it's kind of like, I love when they kind of show yeah. that thread and they're right. like, hey, look if at I can how it all connects. see it all on one page, though, yeah. I'm good. Yeah. And it's not overwhelming the page. It's just little tiny squares on, you know, this beautiful landscape. Like, do this. <laughs> I get the gist of it. Like I okay, I can kind of go over the information I need to go over and skip the information I I can that I feel like I can skip and I can just sort of take it in. Yeah, you know what? And this is kind of the disadvantage of the digital version because looking at these two pages I can see that it's meant to be one image as you're looking at the physical per- version right Matt right. so it's like a double two splash page, page. Splash. Yeah. but mm-hmm. in the digital version for some reason they split it up and so it doesn't come across as one giant image it really should read like that uh, yeah you're so right it's like that um, that other one that got split that the king of been. fear yeah, yeah the one in the king of fear yeah sometimes that happens with the digital version so yeah, if you can check out the physical version, break out that back issue. In any case, I really appreciated this beautifully rendered. Oh yeah, you know, double page here. It's it's really gorgeous, and it's really. Um, I don't mind it. This is the classy version yeah. of a recap. You're I doing really chef's like fingers right now. I, yeah, you can't see it, but I get the <laughs> chef's fingers. And then what about this beautifully rendered thing on the next page? No, I hate it. <laughs> So out comes this giant mutated bear, and it's all like missing a big chunk of its fur, and it's all just overgrown. I really hate and, this, and yeah. I won't look at it, so I'm going to turn it I don't know if it's missing a chunk, if it's just split open and filled it in with, gu- with gunk. You don't have to right, like, keep yeah. describing it. It's bad. <laughs> yeah, so Abe has to fight this thing, and this action is really awesome. I love like Abe jumping on it, and he's almost like kind of riding it or kind of... It almost looks like when someone is trying to take down a bull or something like that, right? Yeah. And as this is happening, even then, in the midst of this action, he's still remembering things that people have told him. It's not about the monsters people are fighting, the memory of Megan. It's the monsters we're going to be replaced by. And we see Abe on top of the bear, and it like goes tumbling down this hill into the water. Yeah, see, he's in his head, man. Yeah. I, that's one thing I really dig about the character. It's not an inner monologue. It's him, like, assembling a puzzle. Right. In in his head. Yeah. That's, it's, it's, com- it's more complex than him just going, oh, woe is me. I have such a strange past. You this know? person <laughs> told me this, but then what did that yeah. mean? No, it's just those people. It's directly from, the, it's his right. memories. Yeah. yeah. And he remembers Grace. You're scared and you're running from something. There's something dark in you, Abe. It's nighttime now and he walks up to this city. We see that we're in Blackshear, Georgia. And he approaches this inhabited place. We can see that they have electricity. There are buildings there. 
This page in particular, I think, really highlights the style, this yeah, artist's style. I love that. But I'm glad you brought that up. So maybe I can ask you this question. We've been reading a lot of Abe Sapien lately, and you know it's all the Fumaras, which is really cool. Right. And so for the longest time, like think about this issue by issue. You guys have been just like gobbling this up right. five issues at a time. But I'm getting this piecemeal. So for me, the longest time, Abe was Guy Davis, Abe. Uh-huh. For right, years, right. that was that was yeah. my Abe. And when I, whenever anyone else drew Abe, I wanted, I was like mad that it wasn't Guy Davis. <laughs> but then now, at this point, I started to switch over to. This is yeah. I see Abe. him as Fumara Abe. Sure. I when and when I think of Abe, I think of that version of Abe instead of the yeah. guy. Yeah. It started to kind of overtake that right around this point. Yeah. And this style I, could so easily not work, but it works so incredibly well. Right. And I'm really impressed by that, and I think this page shows that off. Yeah. A lot. Well, I can see what you mean, though, by, like, thinking about, like, Abe, like, always, because, I mean, I guess, like, that's how I always thought about Abe, is that whole yeah. Guy Davis kind of way, even though, like, even before I read the stuff, yeah, you know, it's got that particular design, and then seeing this, and it's just like, oh, this is kind of neat, you know? Yeah, it eases you into it, but then I wish there were more action figures. There's, like, a new A Thousand Toys Abe that they're going to do, and it looks so awesome, but it's going to be old school Abe, which is cool. I love that, but I already have an old school Abe. I want this Abe. I want them to do a Fumar version figure. Yeah, anyway. I mean, yeah, it would be great to see more of this in action figure, and the, and also Johan, because most of the time you see Johan, he's that old way, and now there's the new Johan. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Oh, let's get another Mezco line out there. We cut to the BPRD headquarters in Colorado, and we see Agent Staz. We met her back in Abe Sapien's Sacred Places. She overhears Kate talking to Devon, setting up missions to take out some Ogdruham in Santa Fe, Gallup, and Amarillo. She's overdue for a haircut here. Yeah, she is. And so remember, like, she kind of was cool with Abe. Like, she was yeah. like, I'm going to tell them that I saw you, but I'm not going to tell them where you're going kind of thing, right? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But how cool is this that we're in BPRD headquarters in the Abe Sapien? Oh, yeah, I love it. And yeah. I love whenever Fumara draws the BPRD. And we've got Panya here already, yeah. just right out the gate. And we, and we know where it falls in because he's saying that Johan is en route from Japan. Right, so again, yeah, the reading order is so nicely yeah, lined cheers. up for us. I'm very good reading order. I'm so excited we're back into the ensemble cast. You have no idea. So Panya, she sees Staz watching all of them. So Staz is watching them, and then Panya notices that she's there, and so she comes up and tries to talk to her. Ma'am, pardon me. I should talk to the director. Maybe not right now, Panya says, and she grabs her arm. Okay. Come with me, she says. You know, when when a multi-thousand-year-old <laughs> ancient mummy witch grabs your arm and says, come with me, you, you, just do it. you better go. You better, right? As they walk, she asks Staz what she wanted to tell Kate. Well, she's shorthanded, Staz says. And you count yourself an adequate stand-in for Agents Krauss and Sherman, Panya asks? No. You discovered more than you have told us about Abe Sapien's location. You know where he was headed after Texas. But you don't want to betray a confidence. Nastasia, don't. I love that. So she's like, she knows, and and she kind of sent Abe on this whole thing yeah. too, right? You yeah. Know? That was her narration that he was remembering at the beginning. The fact that she's letting her know that she knows, but then right. like it's cool, like just be chill. Yeah. Is I dig that. They're interrupted by Nichols and Liz coming in from outside. So I kind of like that because I know that we we saw in the last episode that Liz goes out to smoke. So I wonder if they're coming in from like a mission or they just went outside. Right. Like, well, just for... Nichols is. 
Nichols, Nichols is coming in from a mission. Oh, so maybe Liz was just hanging out outside. Sure. I love yeah. that. Yeah, I kind of like to think about that. It's a good vehicle also to move the story. Right, along. yeah. Well, and he says, what the hell happened out there? Talking about the helicopter that O'Donnell. Oh, right. <laughs> or, right. or that the, the demon right. destroyed. The, the, the helicopter explosion outside. You're absolutely right. It's great. And Ponya directs them to see Kate about those missions she was talking about. Ponya reaches out and she touches Staz's arm and she whispers, keep Abe's confidence. This is not for him. Yeah, and see all the other agents coming in? Right. Yeah. They're all, I assume they're all just getting back from New York. Right, oh, right. Because wow. they're all with Nichols. Yeah. Oh, wow. We cut to the Savannah National Wildlife Refuge in Jasper County, South Carolina. This refuge is a 31,551-acre National Wildlife Refuge located in Chatham and Effingham Counties in Georgia and Jasper County in South Carolina. About half the refuge is bottomland, composed primarily of cypress gum and maple species. Access to this area is, is by boat only. <sighs> this is all very beautifully done. Do you know anything about these birds? I was going to I ask was you. about to say, I'm pretty sure it's a gallinule. Ah. I don't quite know how to pronounce it because I've never actually heard anyone say it. I've only read it. So gallinule is the closest I can get if someone wants to correct me on the pronunciation. But, you know, I was looking, I went looking for wading birds and shorebirds and birds that were supposed to be in this, a living in this area. Right, and right. you provided so much background on the refuge. Thanks for that. So I'm pretty sure it's a purple gallinule. Nice. Nice. Thanks for the bird knowledge assist there. I mean, well, no, to be fair, the artist and colorist, ah, right. you know, really came through and, and provided a very accurate representation. Always appreciate a good rendering. Oh, yeah. A bird. It's not like a made-up bird or anything. So we see Abe here. He's chilling out in this wildlife refuge, and he's just, like, having a peaceful time. Up right up, Kyle and Karen on their horses. Right where she said, Karen says. And so these two, they come and introduce themselves. You're Abe Sapien, aren't you? I wonder if she knew it was him, Kyle says. And so Abe's like, what are you guys talking about? And these two, they tell him that they have a small settlement on the edge of the reserve. All the scary stuff avoids Maggie, who's their leader. She said there was someone on the marsh that they needed to bring to her. Abe is leery of the whole thing, and he says she might have sent more people if she knew it was him. They say they would never force anyone to come with them. But they try really hard to convince him, right? And Abe, you know, he initially thanks them for the invite. But he says he has somewhere he needs to get to. So I was kind of looking at this on the map from Florida, and then he's in South Carolina. So he's going towards Rhode Island, right? Yeah, it looks like he's just following the coast or something. Abe says he's had enough with towns. But this guy, Kyle, he like literally starts begging him, right? Maggie said he's the key to their future. And she also told them he's going to be all weird because he's not used to talking to people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But Abe's like, I've been around a lot of people lately. And he tells them how he helped all those people in Florida from the frogs. And then they start talking about that. And he flashes back to how he saw the frogs at Cavendish Hall 20 years ago in Hellboy's Seat of Destruction. We had no idea where it would lead, he says. And I think that's kind of like, you could say that about everything, right? I mean, it was just this detail. I don't think the writers, you know, knew where that would lead potentially. Right. right. 
And we also get this scene with Langdon Call and Cavendish, right? Mm-hmm. And Abe explains that it was part of his other life. Um, and so we we learned that they worked together when he got that little history lesson in the library. Right. But here we see that it was pretty contentious, right? I mean, they're fighting. So, like, there was something more to that relationship. Um, but I think this is the only this is one of the only times that we've ever seen this, right? We've ever seen actually Langdon Call and Cavendish, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the first time we've seen anything like this. Yeah. I thought that was cool. I was like, wow, I want to see more of that. So we're reading issue twenty eight and twenty nine. We skipped twenty seven. Was that intentional? Twenty seven. Which issue is that? It's the one that tells about what Cavendish that you were just I think it's maybe later in the reading order then. I guess in the omnibus it's just like this. Oh, so you're saying you're saying that maybe this is flashing back to something that we haven't read yet. Ah, okay. It would have been in the publishing order you would have read it. Ah, okay, okay. Abe remembers Diana saying you're not him anymore, Abe Sapien. Sometimes it's hard piecing your own past together, Abe says. They say Maggie can help with all that. She knows things about the future and things that have kept them safe for years. She speaks in tongues and her mom translates. Wait, someone told me about this, Abe says. She seemed nuts, but she could detach her own head. So she must have known a thing or two. She was the first one to tell me to go home. I wasn't... On the recent episode where you covered that story, but I bookmarked it one page in there and I, when I was listening to the episode, and I'll tell you why. But it was that scene where the lady tells him about her for the first time. So well, in, was, in, in that past issue, when that lady is talking about, she mentions Maggie or they show says, they show an image of her, right? Well, she says there's a girl back in the Carolinas. None of the horrors yeah. in this world come near her. Ah. Scared of the right hand printed on her forehead. Yes. And yeah. so I believe that the image they show of the girl with the handprint on her forehead is Abe imagining what that looks like. And he's got it wrong. But that imagery, if you, you have to almost have to go back to issue 14. Right. And and look at that image because Abe imagines what she's saying and it's wrong. It's inaccurate. Okay. Yeah. I'll yeah. Put those it's very interesting. Side. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. So they lead Abe to their camp. They call it Shangri La, and Kyle's like, "Way to oversell it, Karen." Jeez. I'm sure as hell not looking for Shangri La. Abe says, and the look on his face. Yeah, you know he's I mean? so fucking over it. He's had so many bad experiences. He's not with putting all this. up with this bullshit. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so- he's had squinty eyes this whole issue. <laughs> yeah, but the fa- the mouth, the lip. Yeah, I love that. When it turns the page and she says, "Behold Shangri-La," and the way that the uh, panel looks down and you even see like a tent around the outside and all that, it kind of reminded me of Midnight Circus when Hellboy looks down and chooses uh, and sees the circus. Right. It does look like that. See, it reminds yeah. me of more of like the bullshit where all the people were setting up tents outside the egg. Uh see, and, and I think that that's I think that's shit. what Abe is thinking yeah. of too. Well, I, I was thinking more of the, the layout. Right, right. The you actual know. perspective. Yeah, because of the way it's looking down, you got the bushes around. And it right. does like kind of look like that too. I think I think we're meant to think about all the horrible bullshit that he's recently been through and how he's like, oh fuck no about it, you know. Oh, Aubrey, you're right, man. 
That's weird. I'm looking at it right now. That's cool. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, but I think with the focus in or when they show these people, I don't know, Abe is leery of the whole thing. You can tell right away. Yeah. Oh, I mean, he definitely should be because a bunch of like weirdo hippie people. Right. <laughs> well, weirdo, weirdos and hippies are in no, I don't mean, I don't mean, I don't mean that in bad. I don't mean that. No, no, no. I yeah. just mean like, yeah. like they're not necessarily, it's like anything else. Like there's good ones and bad ones. <laughs> and you know, like Abe's definitely had his fair share of the crap ones for sure. And so as we turn the page, like Abe thinks of Gene being like, hey, man, you hold a piece of the puzzle. So he's associating it with his bad experiences. Yeah. And we know that that I forget the guy's name. He. uh, Oh, Arbogast. Yeah. He was recruiting groups of young people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're just kind of roaming from all over the place. right? Right. Right. They bring Abe around the camp towards Maggie's house where Maggie and her mom live. And as he approaches the house, he also thinks of the garden part one, right? Where he approached that house and got shot. That's messed yeah. up looking. They have that same like angle, yeah. the same shot. So he approaches this house and he sees this woman cleaning clothes on a washboard. And he thinks that she's Maggie. And she's like, my goodness, look at you. And he's like, are you Maggie? Dear me, no. Maggie's my little girl. But let me see you. I like that expression. That's kind of a, I don't know, that's kind of an old-fashioned expression. Or, right. Right? But she's yeah. also, the next page, she's admiring. She's yeah. Like, oh, future of our world. Like, so you already get an impression that she knows a little bit more than most people. And Abe is, oh, it's almost a smile. Yeah, I was going to say. It's he a almost kind of a Hellboy right look. Yeah. She's admiring him like, oh, magnificent yeah you know kind of a thing but not in a creepy like aubrey was saying not in a weirdo way of right. like oh yeah. gotta worship you man right right like so it's respectful he doesn't mind so we are automatically the the reader are automatically like okay this woman's all right right she thanks abe for coming up there now she's real excited to see you the mom says but she gets nervous around new people and she's never seen anyone like you in real life. Huh. I mean, this life. And she the winks. Wink, yeah. yeah. And so she calls for Maggie to come out. But they really focus in on that wink. I really like that. And then so we see the little girl come out. And she's got that print on her head. Just like we've seen with Shanshin. And she kind of looks at Abe. And then she just starts like screaming out in that language. And so this is that same language that we've seen. We've kind of called it the Hyperborean language or the frog language. It's just kind of like this um, magical language. I don't. She's a little like the ancient Hyperborean frog language. Right. (laughs) She's a little. She's a little shaman baby. She screams out and she runs inside and slams the door. She's not having it. No. And so the mom's like, "You wanted him here, didn't you?" Future of our world, and Abe is just left staying out there like, what is going on here? Right. In his jeans. Oh, he does have jeans. You're right. I wish I would have I wish I would have pointed that out. Yeah. He, he looks, looks great good. in a jean. Yeah, good job. We cut over to Norway and we see Gustav Strobel has arrived with Vaughn. And so okay, Gustav Strobel. So what yeah, ha- he's got a horse and carriage again, man. Yeah, so what happens? Okay, did the boat turn into a horse and carriage or does a horse yeah. and carriage just roll up? He changed so this is more of that subtle magic. Right. Yeah. 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 So that's how he came across it in the first place. Probably just found like a car and was like, nope, I want a horse and buggy. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Yeah. So he just changed the boat because look at that flower in the foreground. 
Yeah. It's the exact same yes. setting. You're right. You're right. Isn't I love that those funny little though that too, he yeah. prefers that. He's like, <laughs> that's my ride. Or, yeah. It's really funny. He's such a dramatic bitch. <laughs> yeah. He's so aesthetic, you know. Yeah. yeah. Super goth. <laughs> maybe exactly. there, maybe there's something to it riding in a horse and carriage. Like you know, we should all try it. Yeah, maybe hyper we're uncomfortable. Out on why right? not? <laughs> Almost there. He won't need either of us any longer. Eh, boy, Vaughn says to the horse. <laughs> that was interesting. He's just like he's ready to be done with it. Yeah. And trouble comes up. He's got Corvellis's skull in his hand, and he says they're near their destination. So near. And behind them, we see this giant Ogdruhem thing. And we also focus in on the horse. And it's got like these red eyes. And it kind of reminded me of those salamanders, right? Oh, yeah. Because the, uh, the horse didn't have the red eyes when Bolan is talking to it. Huh. That's a subtle detail. Back in South Carolina, we see the bird again. He's back. Yeah, he's back. I like that little shot of him huh. uh, fishing in the little lake there outside. And the mom, she, and do they ever? Say, I don't think they ever say the mom's name. I guess she's not. just the, she's know, just yeah. the mom. So the mom says, you know, she's asking Maggie, "Why are you acting like this?" And the little girl's just kind of like sulking. Abe comes over and he says, "Maggie, your friends Colin, Karen said something. I need to hear from you. I'm I'm the key to the future." Maggie won't even look at him. The mom comes over and she says, "You know, I I know you're scared." But didn't you send Colin Karen because he's going to save us? And so the girl starts talking, and as she's talking, the mom is translating everything that she says. No, not exactly, but you probably expected a regular man, right? Now, you told Colin Karen not to be scared. Well, I don't know if she's translating. It just seems like she's conversing with her. Like right. She, we're meant to understand that she understands her daughter. Oh, yeah, no. she And she says, you just hear gibberish, but I hear my baby's voice plain and dry. Right. So we've been asking last couple of weeks, has anyone translated this language? I was about What's to say it that, mean too. In English? So I just went to the source, and this is the explanation I got. It's described as lunatic stuff. Hmm. Okay. What, like... that, mean, what that meant to me was this language, it's exclusive to the Hellboy universe, but the people who speak it might not necessarily understand it. It's just coming through them. Oh. Right. They're channeling so, it. Yeah. So if you heard somebody, you know, quote unquote, a lunatic speaking in tongues, how do you know that's not like some ancient Hyperborean right, language? Right. And, and they don't know where it comes from, but it's coming through them. Well, I think that there's... So, so there's, they channel it. There's something to be said about like, you know, recognizing syntax, and even though it's not a language you recognize, you can recognize a language in it. Yeah, so I think, and we know we know what this is, right? right. I think for our purposes in the story, we're just we're just meant to understand that it is mystical. It is a language, and it is connected to certain things that we've seen before, and that's really all it is. You know. And if she said Beast of the Apocalypse, we would recognize that. Yeah, it's a storytelling device, and I think right. it works well. It's effective for this story. Yeah, yeah no, you're right, because there are some like key phrases. I wish I could go back and see when certain things have appeared before, and then you could maybe kind of pull together what the context of it is. Like, maybe not well, a direct translation, but this means whatever, because I've seen it several times. I was going to say that um, with this issue, like somebody who can translate language could probably start to 
translate it all because the mom gives you just enough gist of what the girl is saying. Okay, right. See, I'm not yeah. even really interested in a direct translation. Like, there's all these oh, nerds that I are am. like, I can speak Klingon, I can speak Elvish. Like, look, all I really care about is that it's a language, I'm in the world, yeah. and it's giving me context for these other cultures. So it's like, really all I care, I don't even care about like, oh, can we translate it, can we not? I really don't care about that. All I actually care about is, is this storytelling device effective in this within this story and i think yes it is yeah, i think it's getting the point across that's what just fine. yeah, yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it yeah. really like, might be more about the sounds of it like the gutter roll the the way the words are shaped the way the words feel when you read them in your mind how does that feel and so like it's supposed to be otherworldly and very interdimensional yeah. alien kind of a weird feeling when you read it right and i think as long as you get the the gist of that like yog sathoth yeah. kind of shit like you're yeah. like, oh it's monsters you know what i mean so i think that that's that's more <laughs> along exactly the lines right. that's really all i give a shit yeah. about i Let's think see. you can decipher a context though like yeah. in 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 the earliest hellboy stories they're talking about ancient stuff whereas yeah. this girl yeah. is probably talking about the future right yeah and that's kind of interesting. Like this part of the language is something that we might not have seen before. Right, right. But that being said, I still would like to see it translated because that's kind of dork I am. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I guess There's I'm. There's nothing wrong with that. I guess I'm more of a like, like, um, what's the, what's the, what do you get out of it feeling wise? And I think that. Some mm -hmm. people are more interested in just like the exact nitty gritty, like, well, you didn't actually construct a language, so, and it's kind of like, it's I don't really the poetry know. Poetry yeah. matters. Right. Yeah. The mom can tell that other people can't understand her daughter, and yet she still understands yeah. her. So she knows, yeah. she hears the word, quote unquote, nonsense words. Right. But her brain understands them as something else. Right. Yeah. So she understands even though the words are not the words she's used to hearing. And That's I think cool. that that in and of itself is yeah. weird and mystical and neat. Yeah. And I don't need it to be a fucking language. I need it to be something you can just feel out, which is fucking she, never been done. Have, has that ever been done in the story? The mom understands the language that she doesn't, understand yeah, she's man. unable to speak it herself and that oh, that's has wild. no explanation yeah, cool. which yeah. i don't think that's ever been done other than like stuff like lo like lovecraft or whatever right, right like that's right. a whole thing like why do i understand this weird language i don't know Ugh, it's creepy yeah that's <laughs> awesome and as the mom is translating she says that maggie had said man's future on earth rests with abe but now now she says, that ain't our future. And so she turns to Maggie and she says, I thought when he came along, he was going to save us. But Maggie just starts to get more and more upset when she stands on the table and she's like calling out. Freaking out. And one thing I was, uh, one thing I noticed in the character design sheet in the back, Fumara says she always has her hands closed and one is always near her stomach, which I thought was interesting. Mm. Yeah. What's that about? Uh, like she can feel something inside. I don't know. That's what I was thinking because when you have your hand over the your stomach, that's usually stomach. that's usually like you're bracing yourself or you have a pain there or something. She's protective or defensive. Right. Huh. The mom says when Maggie first started talking like that, she said the whole human race would be wiped out. It's a little alarming. Yeah, and she was like, it was easy enough to believe parts of Asia just gone, then England. People started gathering around her. 
Then she said the thing about us being saved. And then Maggie interrupts and she's like, okay, you'll save us. But you didn't say that before. So I guess Maggie is saying she is going to save people somehow. That's what got everyone charged up. Doomsaying attracts people, you know, the mom says. Helps make sense of what they're seeing. But saving the world, that really draws people to you. We see all the people camped out outside and on their tents, you know, they have drawn like, you know, little cartoons of Maggie and stuff like that. That's creepy. She said the future for us is going to be elsewhere. Well, but Maggie says something and I recognize one of the words. Oh, hyperbarum. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the mom doesn't want to say it. She says elsewhere. Oh, right. She knows I what she that. fucking said. Yeah. She's not translating it right. That's not cool. She's not. Uh, she doesn't want to throw that out. Right. Interesting. As Maggie's talking, she's like, right, hun, I know this part. Last time this happened, some folks remained on a righteous path and some embraced the monsters. Maggie calls them the right and the left hand path. A lot of the good folk got to leave the world and she said, that'll happen again. This is She'll the type of shit us. I want to know about yeah. right here. And we see all the priests. We see like Sean Chen and all these other ones behind him. Maggie's connected to the right-hand path by the mark on her head. Uh, That's a left-hand print, Denise. Oh, that's her name. Denise is the mom's name. This is such a good name for her. And she's like, no, Abe. What you're doing, the kids call that a facepalm. It means something different. Ah, <laughs> Denise with the comeback. So this is something I was actually wondering about before. Uh, we Haven't we had this conversation? Already? Yeah, we did. Yeah. Where we were like, uh, actually, wouldn't that be the left hand or the right hand? Like, right. Because yeah. that is a right hand print. It's the back of the hand. No, it's clearly the palm. But I think they're trying to say it's supposed it's to be. It's facing outward, yeah. Yeah. Like. Oh, you're right. It's facing out like that. That's we're all doing it right to, now. Yeah. If you're not driving right now, you do it too. No. <laughs> Put your hand to your head. <laughs> Like, that is a left-hand print, but it's meant to be like you're looking at someone's palm, so that means it's the other hand. I don't get that. I wonder if that's them covering their tracks like, oh, shit, we did this wrong, so now we have to find an excuse for it. No, I think that's or right. Or are they always meant for it to be like that? I think that's awesome. I think I, I like that even better. Okay, right on. So did going back to issue 14, when that crazy lady said... uh scared of the right hand printed on her forehead the hand print is reversed oh and the one that abe thinks of mm -hmm. denise says some of the ones from the right hand path stayed here and passed magic maggie calls it the fire onto our first ancestors but this time we won't get to do that people will be led to heaven and then maggie's like no hyperbarum right right she's like hey say it right this time and then so Denise says it to Hyperbarum. Because maybe she feels self-conscious about the way it sounds. Yeah. Because yeah. there have been so many cults in human history that have been like, we're going to You're the, right. yeah. the yeah. comet now. We're going to go to the spaceship to the, you know, and it all kind of sounds like that. And she maybe didn't want to sound like that to Abe. I don't know. What do you think? Oh, totally. No, you're you're absolutely right. That's the correct reading on that, for sure. I saw something recently. The Heaven's Gate website is um, still online from the 90s. Uh, wow. And so I clicked and went into it, and I was just like, wow, this is very fucking 90s. Wow. <laughs> the different colored fonts. And oh, wow. That's awesome. Everything's bright and nasty. I mean, it's not awesome. But Heaven's Gate. No, it's not awesome. <laughs> Graphic designer's worst nightmare. It really <laughs> <Yeah>. is. <laughs> 
So there's this weird moment here where Maggie yells something and the mom is like, only us? And she says something else. So what about the rest? Where are they going to go? And then she yells something else. Who will save them? And then something else. Why not, Maggie? And then Maggie points at Abe. So what is that? like? Very accusatory. Yeah. And so Abe just turns He's around and walks out. Yeah. yeah. Here comes the bird. He's looking around. Yeah, we see that what same bird again. Doing? They keep coming back to that guy. I love it. I know what you're scared of, Maggie, Abe says. Your friends Colin and Karen, they said you knew things about me, but you didn't even know what I'd look like before I got here. As soon as she saw you, she said you're the end of us. I couldn't make sense of that, Denise says, and we can see that she's crying now. I've heard all about this before, about me, about Hellboy. Hellboy died without bringing any of it to pass. And then Maggie says something to Abe. She just says, are you sure? I'm not connected to those things. Even I wasn't sure what to make of it for a while. But now I know. This is just another distraction. And we see that bird come out of the water right there. That's an interesting little shot. It's true you aren't connected to those monsters, Denise says. You're connected to that older power, the fire. And Maggie says something. And you're sure, honey? And then she says something else. When Maggie leaves this world with us, no one will be left. No one. Until the next age of man starts. And then Maggie says something else. Abe starts to walk off. And Denise, wiping the tears from her eyes, she says, You're what connects the people who came before us to the ones who will come next. You are the future, Abe. You just aren't our future. See, that's why I was confused. There was an age of man before us. And there'll be another one after. And we get flashbacks of people telling Abe about this, and it all kind of lines up, right, with Ponya saying, what's coming, your world, reborn. She was so vague talking about you, but so eager to see you. I figured that meant you were here to save us from whatever she's been warning us about, but you aren't here to help. You can't. No one can. And Denise and Maggie are just hugging as Abe just stands there and takes all this information in. We also see a flashback to the Heliopic Brotherhood. These fucking nerds. Yeah. There's even been folks, one man after another, for more than 200 years, they knew something was coming. They all seen it differently, all put their spin on it, tried to control it or slow it down. And we see Project Ragnarok with Rasputin and all his goons. But they can't change what's coming any more than you can. Just like last time when they prayed to keep the darkness away. And we see the BPRD, the old school crew. These men just create more misery. Despite everything they try. Look at this guy. (laughs) And we see Strobel and... And uh, Gilly Boyd. And Gilly Boyd, Guilford. Thank you for that, Aubrey. Yeah, and Danielle, you like those little salamanders, I love them. They all look like they're going... (laughs) What does that have to do with me, Abass? Maggie doesn't know exactly what your part in this is, but you got to understand you're not a weapon like the woman, his friend. And then so we get this awesome image of Liz where she was fighting the black flame. She, this woman, is the only human vessel for the fire, but there are other kinds of vessels. They'll fight, but that fight ate for you. You need to find how to play your part. I don't want a part in this, Abe says. Sorry, you got to know that when he read the script and he realized he got to draw this page that he was oh, yeah. so fucking psyched. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, he gets in on that action, Liz versus a black flame. But this yeah, is also... This little kid knew a lot. Yeah, that's, uh, that's what I was going to say. It's right, so crazy yeah. that she knows all this stuff. Yeah. 
Maggie says, you're watched over by two dead women. Is one of them Birdie, Abe asks, and that's the dead lady that he saw in the water in the last story. No, Maggie says, these women been dead longer than that. But one of them sent you on this journey. And Abe's like, Panya? She knows that what's coming can't be stopped. It's why she reached out to you. And so we get a flashback to the Owen Society, and that's where Ponya was. So remember that Ponya was able to take control of that little girl, and that little girl was able to get a message to Abe, right? Or is that how, that's how he got drawn there, right? Right. But Maggie says, this woman ain't like the men trying to change where things are going. Her name's Ponya, Abe says. Can you reach out to her? She's a psychic too. Ask her if she knows anything about the egg. She was with those idiots for a hundred years. She cannot. And so they all look over and we see the ghost of Edith Howard. And she's all like in the dead version that we saw in Garden of Souls. And she looks even deader. <laughs> and and I think it, Edith and I, Call, right? Yeah, I thought her name was Edith Howard. Maybe it is. Oh, well, he says here, Edith Call, my wife. My wife. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh... Yeah, but I thought it was interesting that they can see her, too. Yeah. She's really there? Is that... Yeah, because they're like, you know her? Or are they Are they seeing it? They are, right? They're all facing she, it. Might as well, I she's mean, been yeah. following him, right? Yeah, we saw her at the end of Wasn't she A like, Darkness So Great. She was like all obsessed with him, and he's like, I gotta get the fuck out of here. But then she secretly has been like attached to him psychically this whole time i guess so yeah because we saw her at the end of a darkness so great okay and then here she appears again but here now the hell is on earth it makes total sense that her uh, okay. corpse could be up and walking around right, right? Sure. right. so Why she not? still manages to track him down oh that's so weird abe says i'm going back to rhode island everything's been leading me there and edith call comes up to him and she puts her skeleton hand on his face and she says no Go to Long Island. <laughs> just, <laughs> just kidding. I'm ruining the mood. No, you're <laughs> fine. That's no, great. That's good. Don't go to Rhode Island, Abe, Denise says. You learned everything you were going to learn there. And you aren't my husband, Abe Sapien, Edith Call says. I guess she's just like all just calmly standing there like. <laughs> right. And like in the first couple of panels, she's like coming up like. And then she's like. Yeah, but you're not my husband. Now right. We're all, <laughs> now we're all just hanging out. They're all just having we're a conversation. All just friends. And she says, You aren't Langdon Everett Call. You never had a wife, Denise says, but you had a father. And we see Trevor Broom. The answers aren't in Rhode Island, Edith Call says. It's what came next that matters. We get a flashback of Diana saying, You don't even consider your more recent home. You've lived a long life, Abe, all things considered. It's time to sort through it, Denise says. And Abe remembers the BPRD again, the old school team with Hellboy, Liz and Kate, and Professor Broom. And Abe walks towards the water, and he dives in. And it looks like Edith Call disappears as he goes in the water, right? Uh, yeah. There's a little detail yeah. there. And he just swims off. The end. So they're kind of telling him to go to Colorado, right? They're telling him that he should, go, he should go that way. I love that they said, but you had a father, and they showed the professor. Yeah, they've never referred to him like yeah. that with Abe. Because he was like that for all of them, really. Yeah, he mm. really was. I mean, this guy's complex. He totally deserved his own series. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's a little like, emo sometimes for me, but I do like it, ultimately. Yeah. I mean, you can give Liz her own story arc or her own 
five see that's something arc. that i would be very invested in at this point oh yeah i think they definitely need to do that um i'd be really interested to to read something like that and i think there are so many awesome artists they could bring on somebody that they uh, that they already have on the roster or they could just bring somebody new on who's never drawn for them before i think yeah, it would be would great like. on page 415 of the sketchbook we get this sketch. Uh, it's the character sheet for 12-year-old Maggie. And so here it says, both hands always closed, one holding her belly. And that's all it says. That's the only detail. Mm. And then it says left hand print. And she has a strawberry jeans patch. And th- that's pretty much it. And we also get some great layouts of the covers and the character designs by Max Fumara. For our next story, we're going to talk about BPRD Hell on Earth Grind. This is a one-shot story published in October 2014 as BPRD 124, written by Mignola and Arcudi, art by Tyler Crook. We get Tyler Crook again, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. Tyler Crook! This is one of my favorite stories. When I first read this issue, I just thought it was so great. This is just a testament to the writing on this. You told uh, me to read this a oh, long, yeah. long time ago. I had no context for it. So, and I yeah, still really right. liked it. I, I loved this issue so much. And I thought to myself, you know, anyone could probably read this issue. And so when it did come out, I did give you this issue. And I was like, hey, you don't. all you need to know is it's the good. world's gone to hell. And yeah. so just read this. Well, and, this really hit home with readers. I mean... Uh, Everyone loved this. Oh, yeah. The the reaction was great. Just from the cover. Oh, yeah. It's a great cover. Yeah, and I think there's a little note about that in the sketchbook. Yeah, this is a good one. And so we... again, it's it's like, do they have to do this? One issue? Right, right, yeah. Do they have to do it? Could they not have worked this into a larger arc? Of course they could have, right. Yeah. Yeah, but that's what I love about these stories is that, you know, these guys are like, no, no, this should be one issue. Right, right. And you know they're trying to get people jumping on points, but the Broken Equation had the header, this is a good jumping on point for new readers. Oh, okay. This one should have been. Yeah, it should have been this one. You're right. Easily could have been, yeah. But I I just love how it's a contained story like this. Yeah. And so our main character here is this guy named Aaron. And he kind of looks like me. When I'm looking at this guy, I'm like, that's me. This is totally me. This is what would happen with me in the hell on earth if I was a person in this universe. (laughs) And so we're in eastern Santa Fe, and we're listening to this guy's, like, internal monologue. And he's talking about how everything east of the trench got the shaft. So there's this giant trench, I guess, where the Ogdraham came out of the ground or where it's like been walking. It's left this giant path behind it. Yes, yeah, so I was thinking it was like something like, like a path that, you know, destruction. Right. Mm-hmm. So he's already kind of grumbling about this. And then he walks up and there's like a, a security checkpoint on this bridge. And they ask him for his ID. And he's like, come on, man. We just did this yesterday. And the guy doesn't say anything. And then so he shows him and he's like, why do you do this anyway? How does it stop the monsters, huh? You know, instead of trying to keep folks out of the Western, why don't you put up some effort in cleaning up the Eastern? Like, do something about my neighborhood. You should see what's sitting in front of my building. I got to walk all the way around the block just to avoid the thing. Why don't you guys do something about crap like that? And we see this guy staying in front of his door and he's like all been taken over by this fungus tentacled thing. It's like all growing out of his body. Yeah, yeah it's pretty okay. grotesque. The security guard just goes, go ahead. And he's like, go ahead. Fine. Thanks for listening. 
And so he walks up and he's one of the guys working in the coffee shop. They tell him that he's late again. Give me a raise and I can afford to lift a few miles closer, you know, just a thought. And we also learn that they're getting like deliveries just sporadically. So again, the world is still going on. Like a fucking coffee shop is still operating at this point. The sign says cash only. Oh, you're right. Yeah, that's a great detail. Steel kilts. Is that a chain? Have you ever heard of that? Okay, so I actually looked this up. It's not a chain, but Steel Kilt is a character from the 1851 novel Moby Dick by Herman Melville. Oh, and we we know that Mignola and Allie are a huge fan of that. A gifted sailor from the area of the United States around Lake Erie, Steel Kilt leads a mutiny on the ship, the town Ho, that nearly succeeds until it is interrupted by the presence of Moby Dick. Steel Kilt later escapes the ship and sails back to Europe without being punished for his treason. But we see here on the sign, it's an actual steel kilt. It's cute. Yeah, that's yeah. funny. The branding is... That's yeah. awesome. They're saying that this is the last delivery to the door. Now they're going to have to pick him up at the depot. And the guy's like, that's how you can get your raise. You got a car. And he's like, Monster smashed that a long time ago. And if I did have one, and it worked, and I could get the gas, you wouldn't see me here again. Jeez. And I like all those qualifiers. He's like, <laughs> I love that line right? where he says, Monster smashed that a long time ago. I mean, yeah. so he's like, if I had one, and if it worked, and if there was gas, you know what I mean? Because yeah. like, at this point, that's how things are. I tell you, the weirdest thing about all this is how it isn't really weird at all. Before, I would have thought that a monster smashing my city would have been the end, but now it's just life. You get used to it, the way New York did after 9-11. Yeah, 9-11, over and over and over again, all across the country. And just like after 9-11... They still need their coffee. We see a whole line of people out the door to get coffee. This is maybe one of the only coffee shops that's still open, right? It's probably the only one. You would be like, oh, but I heard of this place. It's still open. we got to walk all the way over there. You know what I mean? And so as Aaron's walking, he sees this kid, Javier. And Javier is taking pictures of that messed up mushroom tentacle thing that's in front of Aaron's door. And Aaron's like, hey, hey, not cool, Javier, not cool at all. And then he's like, sorry, Ira. So I guess he knew that guy, right? It was he, his neighbor. Yeah. Right, and he's still yeah. like, but I guess he was friends with him or something if he's still holding on this kind of like, or he's still like protective of it. Or... Right, well, and then like the tentacles reaching out for him. Yeah, so then the tentacle comes out and he's like, freaking hell. And he has to kind of like step out of but the way really quick. into the building, which seems like, well, don't it, ever go there again. Well, it's his apartment. That's I his know, apartment, I know, yeah. but that's what I'm saying is like, dude, come on, get out of there, man. Yeah. No, he would, but he just can't afford a new place. I understand <laughs> that, but like this is like a refugee situation. Right. This is like you find somewhere to crash until you can get to a new shelter like this seems very i don't know and we cut to at night we see aaron sitting there in his bed and he's reading a book no i guess you don't ever really get used to it or i don't not at night because it's not buildings falling and then rebuilding the things that knocked down the buildings that killed my friends they're still here i hear them at night sometimes far away closer sometimes how can anyone sleep you can't not for days on end but the anxiety, it's exhausting. And eventually, you finally just... And he fades to black, right? But all throughout this, he can hear like this slithering sound outside his door. Well, and now there's juice on the door. And the tentacles even further over. They're all growing over. Oh, right. Yeah. 
So he wakes up to the sound of helicopters. So he sits up and he runs out the door. He's like still putting on his jacket and he runs over to the coffee shop. It's closer, man. It's coming. I know. I know. It's closer. The other guy says. And so he's like, they got some specialists out there and they're going to try to take care of it. Least we can do is give him some coffee. And so we see Aaron going out there with the little cardboard thing with yeah. the coffees in him. I love that. He was like, specialist, specialist. Uh, excuse me, anybody wants some coffee? <laughs> like the little dialogue gets off. <laughs> when he turns around, he sees Johan standing there. So I thought that was a great reveal there. This panel especially does look like you right here. This one. Oh, where he's walking up with the coffees? In, the, in profile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But this is a great way to introduce the BPRD from this is yeah. classic X Files where it's yeah. like Oh it's great. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Mulder and Scully are here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we see Liz walk up and she's like, Come on, Johan. Those coffees for us? She's He's like, so excited. Oh, yeah, she's like, thanks. I love that little <laughs> panel, right? She's yeah. like, Nichols, coffee, <laughs> where she's holding them yeah, up like that so over her excited. head. <laughs> because, you know, I mean, you know, like when you get that cup of coffee that you've been dying, you're like, right. oh, fuck yeah, coffee. Well, this is such a kachu moment, too, because she's got her cigarette going. And the next page here, she's like, come on and bring the coffee. Like, she's, yeah. <laughs> she's got her cigarette going. She She's like, oh, finally, we've got some coffee. Yes. You know, yeah. she's a very... Uh, she's got a lot of personality just in those few little panels that she's in here. Bad kid with a heart of gold. Yeah. Just like Danielle says, she's trying to call Johan over. But Aaron's trying to talk to him. And he's like, look, it's not just that big sucker out there. My neighborhood is all messed up. And Johan's like, I'm sorry. This is a bad time. But thank you for the coffee. It's like a weird mushroom tree monster growing out of my friend. Oh, no. Johan turns around. He's like, that sounds different. And then so they start calling Aaron into the coffee shop, too. And Johan's like, I can't come with you now. Do you have pictures of it? Uh, no, but I can get some for you later, Aaron says. Not later, but tomorrow morning, Johan says. If you meet me here tomorrow morning with pictures, maybe we can help you. And Aaron's like, okay, sure, I'll do it. Date. Yes, I love that little so Victoria's excited. panel. Yeah. He's oh, got the thumbs man. up. Yes. He's like single-handedly going to save the east side. Yes, exactly. Well, and he might get out of the awful situation he's in, and we're so hopeful for this guy. Yeah, and so we get this little scene with Enos in here. He's like, you said we'll meet him tomorrow? I did, Johan says. I think we might learn something. Does that create an issue for you? Not at all, Johan, or what does he call him? Joanne, right? Joanne. Joanne. (laughs) Not in the least. I'm just always happy to hear you say you think there's going to be a tomorrow. I love that little line. That's a good line from Enos. We see people are still freaking out at the coffee shop. This one lady's like, no decaf? Why'd you stop carrying it? And they're like, you're the only one who orders it. They can't afford to get all this stuff anymore, right? And it might just be, just can't get it, just can't get it. (laughs) And so I think this is interesting too, this little scene, because they start talking about, oh, there's a steel kilts in Albuquerque looking for a manager. So in the midst of all this, you still got to think about transferring and all this kind of HR crap and God. Uh, (laughs) See, that would make the apocalypse just that much worse. Yeah, that's a sign that your town has finally succumbed to the apocalypse. No more coffee. There you go. (laughs) I, I personally, I think it's, when the pickles run out, I'm moving on, <laughs> whether whether on foot or with the BPRD or whatever. Right. 
So then this one customer runs in. He's like, it's happening. And so they're looking out there. They see the BPRD helicopters firing on the monster. And at first they're like skeptical because they're like, well, they bombed it for a week last December, but then they just left it there. How is this going to be any different? You know, Liz was calling for Johan to hurry up. So now we see they're trying to do some tests Uh, because Liz is like, I can kill this thing in two minutes. And Johan says, you can't be everywhere, Elizabeth. We need a method reproducible everywhere. Second ship, moving with your rockets. And so they send in this ship, but then the monster like breathes out all this breath of change stuff. And so this helicopter with all the tentacles flying around is just so crazy. I just really love that image. But we also see that like all oh, the pilots got taken over, right? And then it just blows up in front of the agents. And so Liz is pissed by this, right? Yeah, it would be really hard to stand by and watch that. Right, because they right. just lost agents right there. He's like, oh, we didn't have a ch- We can never get ahead of this if you're the only person who right. can. And she's just like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I'm yeah. here and I can do something about it, so why don't I? Right. Like, I don't understand what his reasoning is. He's like, well, you're going to have to learn that you can't save everyone all the time. Yeah, but I can save the people here, dumbass. Right. Well, I think his reasoning is she's there as backup in case these plans doesn't work. Because right. you got to figure out how something works, and if it doesn't work, then you at least you got to have Liz there to, to right. take right. it down. I right. guess I understand that. I'm I'm such so a now fucking. It's time. I'm more like her. I'm just like, why can't I just do it? Like it's very right. so. Yeah, I do understand the reasoning. It's just like, ugh, come on. And then so Liz, she just flames up right we see this huge whirlwind of flame around her and she just zaps the monster with the vril fire and it just blows this giant hole through the back of it that is such a great animation right there the way they did that and then this panel where all the people are rejoicing is just my favorite that is so great aaron's jumping up in the air and they're just like so excited that this ogdraham got destroyed aaron hugs the manager he's like they did it man i guess we can stay now I mean, you're going to stay, right? I guess so, for now anyway, the manager says. We cut over to Liz and Johan. And Johan's still trying to justify, you know, um, this was the safest way to test this stuff. Screw that. From now on, if I'm on a mission, I'm not going to be backup, Liz says. I'm killing everything I see. Well, one thing about, like, he didn't, did they need to put them on helicopters to fly to the thing? Couldn't they put them on, like, like, mobile fucking rocket launching fucking jeep jet things well, you've seen them in movies right yeah something like that maybe mm-hmm. they just don't have access to that in the other one they were like oh the un finally got the tanks here yeah so maybe they can't get stuff there efficiently or whatever i'm just saying if you're testing something don't put you guys right in danger yeah 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 at this point they're just trying anything we see the pilots the the surviving pilots and they're like, oh, you know, sorry about Tasker and Norwood. I guess those were the red shirts that got all mutated in the other one. And then they see Liz and they're like, oh, this lady, she ain't buying herself one damn beer tonight. And they're like, yeah, they're all celebrating. But then this one guy, he's like, leave me out of that party. I and mean, he talks about how his granddad talked to him about World War II and the Battle of Okinawa. He was on the airfield filling up when the Japanese surrendered. He told me that an atomic bomb saved his life, saved a lot of lives, but he didn't ever talk about having dinner with one. And then he just walks off. What is that about? That's different. I mean, I guess there's people with that mindset out there, but this different set of circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. They're I mean, not fighting the Japanese, right? <laughs> this is totally and, different. And Liz is, isn't an atomic bomb. <laughs> right. But it does show that there still is, I guess, some prejudices out there against yeah. people like that, right? Yeah. 
So we cut back over to Aaron, and he's looking for Javier. That was the kid earlier with the camera. And he's like, tries to talk to him again. And the kid's like, back off. I'm just taking pictures. I'm not hurting anyone. He's like, no, it's cool. Your hobby might save us all. And so we cut to them, and he's like looking at his phone. He's like, perfect. This is a great picture. And so he's like, let me hold on to this until tomorrow. And Javier's like, oh, I don't think so. How do I know you're going to give it back? And he, so he gives him all his money. He says, today was payday. It's all here. Oh, damn. You sure? I mean, you trust me? Javier says, I don't know. Maybe not. But without this picture, all the money in the world won't do me much good. And he walks off with the camera. And he's so happy as he's so sitting here to go to bed. So optimistic. Look at his face. But one thing I noticed is the window is open. Mm-hmm. In his yeah, room. he feels safer. Yeah, yeah, he feels safer because the Ogdruham got destroyed by Liz, and he's got the uh, camera phone. He's going to get everything taken care of. Yeah. He goes right to sleep. He lets his guard down. He goes right to sleep. Yeah, exactly. He's like, I'm getting my city back. So then we cut to morning, and he's not in his bed. And we cut outside, and we see. I guess this is maybe the remains of that Ogdruhem that Liz blew the back of his head out of. I think so. The firefighters are cleaning that up, and they're like, "Oh, this is some nasty stuff." Where the hell's Johan anyway? I can't get out of here soon enough. He's getting a cup of coffee. Nichols says, "Wait, he's what?" And we cut over to Johan, and he's just sitting there. Look at this horrible, lonely panel. Yeah, he's just sitting there waiting. He's, I love how he's got the coffee cup in front of him. Yeah. Remember in that one story, he He said He held up his word. He's going to meet this guy and help him. And there was a tomorrow. God. Tomorrow tomorrow came. They did it. So he was like, now I can be here. Yeah. You're you're absolutely right. We cut over to Javier. He's watching his phone buzz. And it's buzzing near the tentacle. And then we see that that mushroom monster thing, it took Aaron. And now he's in there too. And he's got like a tentacle coming out of his mouth. And he's been all overtaken by it. And that's it. And that's the end of that story. Awful. Thanks. I hate it. And so I was like, there's just something about this story that I just really, really enjoyed. It's just that little slice of life, I guess. And just like, I don't know, I felt something with this character, Aaron. I really did. I was like, I felt like he was me. And I was like, man, something like that would happen to me. That that would totally happen. Something like that, you know? And and it's just reality of these stories that I just really enjoy. Well, it's that terrible. It's such a terrible tragedy because you're so invested in the characters that are in the story. That takes so much skill. And so much care when you're crafting a story as both a writer and an artist. And I think that they really, obviously they pulled it off because I feel some type of way about right. it. Right. And, and I think also it's so hard. To, I think it's a perfect issue. I think it's a perfect BPRD issue. I think if you wanted to get somebody into BPRD that hadn't read it and they didn't want to start at the beginning, you could just give them that one issue and just see like, what do you think about this? It's got the quirky humor. It's got the action beat. It's got the awesome art. It's got some weird, creepy stuff. It's it's, it's also, got the downbeat ending. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's very yeah. impressive as far as getting you emotionally invested, which is so hard to do. But like you said, it's also, it's got the art that's all there. So yeah. everything falls into place really, yeah. really well. I just love this issue so much. It's just I just I could just pick up this issue and just read this one story every once in a while. I really enjoy it. This issue came out on the exact same day as The Mysteries of Unland number 5. Oh, okay. So Tyler uh. Crook was in the back of that one. Oh, yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that's awesome. 
on page 379 in the sketchbook lawrence campbell says after reading the script the final image pretty much came into my head straight away love the idea of two bprd agents talking over coffee while outside all hell is happening probably the easiest cover i've done and probably one of my favorites so far wish it was like that all the time it also needs to be said that it's always a pleasure working with dave stewart on the covers frankly he's the man who pulls it all together and makes it look good yeah, so it's nice to hear Lawrence Campbell give some kudos to Dave Stewart in his yeah. little sketchbook notes. What an awesome story. I really love that. I was waiting for us to get to grind. I just really um, enjoyed that story. So did you remember reading it? When you were yeah. reading it, were you like, oh, I've read this before? Oh, yeah, immediately as soon as I saw it. And what was it like reading it now in the context of what is going on? Yeah, really intense. Yeah. But also had the same effect of like, like you said, it could stand alone. Yeah. And you could introduce this whole thing I mean, that's what you did, basically. You introduced this whole... Here's a little sample. Yeah. 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 And so that's... Yeah. But yeah, knowing what I know about like Liz and all that... Yeah. Is really puts that into um, a big context, for sure. Yeah. And they're also... Liz is pretty much all they have that will destroy these yeah. things. I think that's another takeaway here is like they haven't been able to advance on that as much. All right. And so... Next week, we're going to have our Halloween episode. I thought we could do something a little fun for Halloween. So we're going to do a spooky episode. We're going to do a spooky episode. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be excited for that. And we will be back on track with the listener feedback as well. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, everybody. Share us your thoughts on Abe Sapien, Dark and Terrible, The Garden 2, and BPRD, Hell on Earth, The Grind. You can send us a Hey You Damn Guys at HellboyBookClub at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find the Discord and reading list on our Facebook About section. And as always, a special thank you to Paul from Garderharn for the amazing theme. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, Mark Tweedell, for helping John with the reading order. Thank you, Mark. Uh, thanks, John, for all your editing wizard magic. <laughs> Fucking John is a wizard. Uh, and also, be sure to check out friends over at the Mike Mignola's Art on Facebook and uh, check out the contest. It'll be coming up soon. Yes, it's coming up soon. I'm excited. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Next week, we are reading Hellboy, Mass and Monsters, or Hellboy Ghost and Hellboy Batman Starman. Yeah. So this one, you're going to have to go out and pull out the back issues. Possibly you can find a trade, but there is no digital. Well, th- there's only the digital for Hellboy Ghost. There's only the digital for Hellboy Ghost. Yeah. So, time to go old school. <laughs> Read them offline. And join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club Podcast. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm Daniel. And I'm Matt Trackbine. And I'm Aubrey Loveless saying, that sounds different. <laughs> <laughs> Overused now. <laughs>